pray together once again. As we go to prayer, just to continue with the words of the prophet or the priest Zacharias, as were spoken in reference to his son John the Baptist, who would be forerunner to Jesus. But even so, this is what he said as we turn our attention to the Lord. He said, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And Father, that is what we come to celebrate tonight, that you made a way where there was no way, that you gave an answer, a solution where our sin had broken and shattered everything irreparably. Father, that you had a plan and it wasn't a It wasn't just a rescue plan, it wasn't a plan B, it wasn't something that you came up with when you realized what a mess we had made of this world you'd created, but Father, before you even made us, your your word says, before you even spoke creation into existence, you knew we were going to need a Savior. So Father, long before any one of us was ever here, you had the plan and then you carried that plan out to send your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born as a baby, but Father, of course, we know not to remain that way. To grow up in this world, to walk where we walk, to feel what we feel, to see what we see, and then to die in our place. And Father, it's the beginning, again, the earthly side of the beginning of that story that we celebrate here tonight. The one who came to guide our path into the way of peace. The sun rise from on high to shine into our darkness. Father, we thank you for the privilege of singing your praise tonight, of singing of the one who came, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege and the blessing of hearing your word, hearing the story told of prophecies and narrative and then declaration that you, through Jesus, have called us to be the sons and daughters of God. And Father, now for just a few minutes, we're going to turn our attention to your word, not because I have anything spectacular to say, but but because your word is what tells us this story. You've given it to us to to lead us and to guide us and to convict us and direct us and most of all to save us by pointing us to your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we ask right now that you would allow us in these few moments together to quiet our hearts, to put the distractions aside and listen closely to the old, old story in hopefully a fresh and a meaningful way. As always, Father, for that we need your spirit and we invite him now to guide us in truth, to guard us from error, to deliver us from distraction and to help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus Christ tonight of all nights clearly as we go to your word. May we see Jesus Christ tonight only as we go to your word. And when we leave in a little while, let us leave rejoicing, not because it's Christmas and it's snowed and we've got all these good things ahead of us, But let us leave rejoicing because for a little while we sat at the feet of Jesus, the one who loved us enough to come and rescue us. And it's in his name and for his glory that we pray all God's people said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And again, good evening. It really is good to be here with all of you tonight, not because it's my job, but because you are, we are a family. And we are here 
of course, to look to and to celebrate and to remember Jesus Christ. I don't know if you brought a Bible with you tonight, but, but even if you didn't, uh, in the bulletin you were given and you walked in the door tonight, uh, there's a passage of Scripture on the inside cover. So if you've got one of those bulletins or you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up. Because in just a moment, I'm going to read from the Scripture from the Christmas story, from the beginning of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. I'd love you to be able to follow along. I'm just a big believer that when we look to God's Word together, it's one thing to hear it with our ears, but it's another if at the same time we can see it with our eyes. So find your way to that passage one way or another. As we take just a few minutes together, hopefully as I just prayed a moment ago, to put aside our distraction, to focus our attention, and to look clearly and only to Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin reading tonight in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. There are so many places we could go in the Scripture. There are so many parts of the story we could zero in on. But I want to begin reading in Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to read down through verse 38, which sounds like a lot of Scripture, but really it's not. But either way, I'd invite you to follow along where this is what the Word of God says. This is the story of Jesus. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he, Gabriel, the angel, said to her, said to Mary, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. For behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, in the 24 years that my wife and I have been married, uh, she has accumulated over our 24 years together a massive collection of nativity scenes. Uh, in fact, every year we now have a tradition that I, I buy her another one. That, that's one of my goals at the Christmas season. And, and, and over the past several years, I have taken on uh, the assignment, the challenge of trying to make each New Year's acquisition, each year's new nativity scene, bigger or better or more creative or more unique in some way than last year's. And I'm telling you, after 24 years, it's getting hard, but I still expect accept that challenge. And, and it's been a fun one. In fact, we have so many nativity scenes that we have collected now over our years together as a family that we can't even put them all out together at the same time without looking like a rummage sale. There's just, there's just that many in the house. But they're beautiful and they're memorable and each one sort of holds a special place, at least in my heart and I think in hers as well. But one very consistent oddity one odd thing I have noticed about our collection of nativity scenes is that in the ones where the characters' faces are actually pictured, you know, sometimes there's just sort of a blank, but, but in the ones where the, the, the characters' faces are actually pictured, I have noted, this is the odd thing I have observed, is that everyone in the scene seems incredibly calm. 
Everyone seems like, like, like nothing spectacular or unique has just taken place. You look at Mary's face. You look at Joseph's face. You look at the faces of the shepherd, even the livestock. None of them give a clue uh, whatsoever of any kind that a teenage girl has just given birth in the dark, on the ground, in a stable. But of course, we don't have to think hard at all to realize that that would not have been a calm, silent night at all. And according to what we just read, the reason I point that out is because according to what we just read in the first chapter of Luke's gospel, not only did the story of Jesus' arrival not end in a calm, cool, collected fashion, according to what we just read, it didn't exactly begin in a calm, orderly fashion Either. And the reason I say that is because of something suggested in what I believe may be the most overlooked verse in the, cha- or the passage here in Luke 1 we just read, which is Luke chapter 1, verse 29. Let me read it to you again when it says that after the angel Gabriel came in and said, Greetings, favor one, the Lord is with you. It says that she, verse 29, Mary, was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was literally, literally what what the original word that the author of this gospel, Luke, chose to describe her condition. My Bible, I just read it to you, says she was very perplexed. Literally what Luke said is she was acutely distressed. Other English translations of the story are translated this way, that, that upon meeting the angel in verse 28, upon hearing the angel's greeting as he entered into that room, wherever she was, other English translations say that upon hearing it, Mary was greatly troubled. She was confused and disturbed. She was, in an emotional, internal way, thoroughly shaken. But the funny thing is, I've never felt that way about it. And and chances are, you haven't either. Not because we're spiritually dull, not because we aren't observant, but probably simply because most of us here tonight are already so familiar with the story of Jesus' birth that a detail like that just slides by unnoticed. We never even stop for it because we know there are better things or perhaps more familiar things ahead. And while my point tonight is not, everybody say his point is not. My point tonight is not that therefore you should go home more stressed out than you came more worked up than you came in any way. What I am saying to you tonight is this. I think we'd benefit if for just a few minutes we did our best to slip into Mary's sandals. And, and even though there's no way we can feel in this moment at the announcement of what was about to happen to her, there's no way we can feel the way Mary felt. I believe that by the time we go tonight, we can at least do what Mary did. Which in the rest of verse 29 says this, that although she, that although she was acutely distressed, Although she was confused and disturbed and shaken by what she just heard, it says again in verse 29 that she pondered these things in her heart. She thought about them carefully and closely. And so to that end, here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I want to ask and hopefully answer three questions. Three questions from this portion of the Christmas story. The first of which is this. It's probably the most challenging of the three. But question number one I'd like us to consider together tonight from this portion of the Christmas story is this. Why was Mary favored? What does it mean and why was it that we are told in this story that Mary was favored? Because if you look again at what it says in the Bible, that's what Luke says perplexed her. That, that she was called favored. Because note, it says that. It says that she was thoroughly very perplexed. Uh, she was pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel hadn't even told her what he was there for. 
He hadn't told her she's about to have this baby. She hadn't said, he hadn't said to her, you're about to bear the Messiah, the Son of God. He simply said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And it stressed her out. It got her confused or perplexed. And, and as such, the question tonight I'm really asking for starters is why her? Why was Mary favored? Now, some people would say, based on the text, that it's because she was a virgin. She's the virgin Mary, after all. And while that was an important factor, uh, prophetically speaking and theologically speaking, uh, if you've studied the Bible uh, to, to some degree, you know those are massive theological concepts that, that, that the, the Messiah came through a, a woman who was a virgin. But at the same time, if, if our understanding of the Jewish marriage traditions holds, the fact of the matter is that at the time the angel showed up to tell the Virgin Mary she was going to have a baby, she was like 13 years old. So what, am I, what I'm saying to you is virginity for her is not exactly front page news at this point. She's 13. That's probably not the primary reason why Gabriel came to her and said, you are a favored one. Does that mean it was instead because she was devout? spiritually tuned in, familiar with the Lord, maybe. But at the same time, I'd suggest, having read the story a few times, that we may actually read more into the text than is actually there. Listen, I'm not suggesting that the Virgin Mary wasn't a pious young lady. I'm not suggesting she, she didn't know the Lord and love the Lord and, and all the rest. But at the same time, I, I would also point out to you that nowhere in the biblical text does it ever say she was a leader in the synagogue youth group. That, that, she was the, that she was the most spiritually tuned in, locked and ready uh, young teenage girl on the planet. It doesn't say that. There are ways we could assume such things, but it doesn't say so. Listen, I'm not in any way trying to diminish the Virgin Mary. I'm certainly not trying to deconstruct your understanding or mine of her. In fact, I'm not sure that, that in perhaps some of our circles she actually gets all the attention she rightly deserves for the role that she played in bringing Jesus to the planet. After all, as Kent Hughes writes, she was, listen to this, she was, quote, Mary, the only woman of the billions who have inhabited our planet who was, in fact, chosen to carry and nurse the Son of God. In fact, Hughes goes on to say that she's the only person who's ever walked the planet in whom the lines and features of Jesus' face could be seen in her own. Think about that. That he resembled his mother, Mary. Now, what I'm saying is this, is that the angel's declaration to Mary, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you, is not, listen, it is not an explanation for why she was chosen, like she'd won an award, like she'd earned her way to the top, and because God looked out and thought, of, of all the virtuous people on the planet, there's the one who wins first prize. She gets to be. It's not a declaration that she had somehow earned the right to bear the Messiah. It's not an explanation for why God chose her. I'd suggest to you if it, if it was, then she wouldn't have been greatly perplexed. She would have been more like sitting on the end of, the, end of her bed saying, well, it's about time. I thought you'd never show up, right? We've been expecting this, but she wasn't. I'm not saying it's an explanation of why God chose her. Instead, what I'm saying to you is this, that the reason the angel Gabriel came and said, greetings favored when the Lord is with you, flows from the fact that God had chosen her. God chose her, and that made her favored. God selected her for some reason in his infinite wisdom, and for that reason, she was favored. God had chosen her apart from any effort of her own, any achievement of her own, any merit of her own, any accomplishment of her own. 
God had chosen Mary for something inexpressibly special. What I'm saying to you tonight is this, that what God did here for her was, in a single word, supremely and exclusively an act of grace. God showed Mary grace. But before I explain why that matters, there's a second question I want you to consider with me. Very simple, very practical question, and it's this. If we understand that the reason or the reality of Mary's choosing was an act of grace, the second thing I want you to think about in this story with me is how did Mary respond? The second thing we need to consider, how did Mary respond to this greeting and to the news that she was given? And for starters, the Bible tells us that Mary responded to the angel's declaration, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you, and then he tells her what's about to happen. She responds with a question, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She may have been a kid, but she was no fool. She understood what you're telling me, all right. These things don't happen in a vacuum. How is this possible? She's not quibbling with God over his promise, but she is confused about the process of how is this extraordinary thing going to take place. To which I point out the angel replied to Mary with some of the most extraordinary words any tongue has ever spoken. Listen to verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, here's how it's going to happen, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child, the one within you, will be called the Son of God. For verse 37, here's what the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And and apparently that was enough. That was all Mary needed to hear, because what does she say next? At the end of the passage, in verse 38, Mary said, well, behold then, I am the bondslave of the Lord. May this be done to me according to your word. And the angel was out of there. That was the end of the conversation. Now, when you hear those words, Mary's words, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. The one thing we must never ever do when we read and hear that story is somehow interpret or hear that as a sigh of resignation, as a, all right, whatever angel, it is what it is, right? God's going to do what God's going to do. It's going to be what it's going to be. That's not the response at all. It's not some sort of unwilling agreement or uncertain agreement. Instead, Author Luma Sims describes Mary's response here to what God was about to do in and through her. Sims says as, quote, a contented yielding. The kind of submission attended with dignity, with courage, with honor, and with grace. In other words, here's what I'm saying. Let me give you another word. In response to God's act or initiation of great grace, Mary's response here was purely and simply one of great faith. God showed grace. Mary responds in faith. What did she do? Simply, she heard God's promise. She took God at her word. She listened to that promise. She believed on that promise and contentedly yielded to it. She surrendered to God's plan. And as such, I'd say to you tonight, there's a very real sense in which Jesus Christ was born into Mary's heart, entered into Mary's heart before he ever entered into her womb. She said, yes, she made room for Jesus Christ in her life. And if you're willing to follow me at least that far on those two things, those two questions of answered, why was, questions and answers, why was Mary favored? Because God was moving in grace. And how did Mary respond? She was responding in great faith. Then there's a third, final, and a most practical question. Those of you who attend Maranatha regularly know that in some way or another, it's always the question we get to. Question number three tonight is simply this, so what? So what? 
What difference does that make tonight? 2,000 years after the fact, on the other side of the planet, other than giving us a reason to get the family together, right? To sing some some pretty songs, to, to pump a few billion extra bucks into the economy. So what? Why does it matter? And why tonight not should we? Why should you care? And why should I care? Well, the answer to that question as wonderful or as unusual as it may sound to you, is simply this, that what God did, listen, what God did here with Mary in this story was done for all of us. What God did with Mary was done for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul explains it this way in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament chapter 2. When he says this, he sort of lays out in retrospect what it was God was up to through the story of sending Jesus Christ to the planet, the story we are celebrating here tonight. He begins this way. Just listen. You can follow along just by, as I read these words, Ephesians 2, 2, chapter 1. Paul says, see, there was a problem. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. We all have a problem we can't solve. God calls that problem sin. It's rebellion. It's separation from him. And we have nothing we can do to fix it. But what Paul goes on to say in that same chapter is this, but God, here at Maranatha, we've learned to love those words this year, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Paul says, even when we were dead in our sins, what did God do? He sent us his son. He sent Jesus Christ into the world. He gave us this one born as a baby who grew up to be a man. What did he do? Well, Paul continues. He says he came so that by, here's our first word, grace, so that by grace you and I could be saved. Paul says the way we can be saved by grace is through faith. And Paul says that's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For he says, we are, you and I are, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Because here's the thing, and here's what I want you to understand tonight, that in the very same way God had a plan for Mary, that plan was to bring his son to the planet. God has designs for me and for you. God has a plan for your life. He has a desire for you that he mapped out before the beginning of time to work in us and through us for his glory. God has a plan for you. It's not the same as Mary's plan, but he has a plan. And he has a desire. It starts with grace. Your response is faith. And then God begins to do some things that you could never have done and never have been without him. And what that means tonight is this. That each and every one of us, listen to me, regardless of your present circumstances, regardless of your past failures, regardless even of your future ambitions, I'd like to suggest tonight, and I don't mean to be corny in saying it, each of us ourselves can have a merry little Christmas in the same way or a very similar fashion that she did. Because I really believe with all my heart that every single one of us tonight in this room needs one of three things stemming from the story of Christmas. See, there are some of us here in the room tonight. It may not be many, but it may. I don't know because I don't know your heart and frankly, you don't know mine. But there are some of us in the room tonight. What we need more than anything else is what I would call a grace encounter. 
Tonight, some of us here need, what you need most is a grace encounter. Because tonight is the night, for whatever reason, that you finally understand, or having heard before, you're willing to yield to the fact that you need a Savior. That Jesus Christ didn't just come because God loved the whole world. Jesus Christ came because God loves you. And he wanted to rescue you. And he came to save not just other people. He came to save you. And in grace, in the same way that he came suddenly and by surprise to Mary, tonight perhaps in grace he's coming suddenly by surprise to your heart and saying, you're going to let me in. Will you trust me? And if so, if tonight what you need more than anything else is a grace encounter, there's a very simple prayer you can pray. You don't have to pray it out loud. It's simply this. Lord, I receive Jesus. Tonight is my Savior. I turn from my sin. I trust him as Savior. I don't even know what that means, but I know I don't want to miss it. You can respond with a grace encounter tonight. Lord, I trust Jesus as my Savior. That's one possibility. There's another one, others of us, because there are many of us here tonight, and the very reason we're here is because we've already made that decision, right? We've already trusted Jesus Christ. And, And so tonight, you know what you don't need? You don't need a grace encounter. You need a faith revelation. Like Mary tonight, there are those of us in this room who what we need more than anything else this Christmas is a faith revelation. And the reason I say that is because of this. Because as you sort of, at least in your mind's eye, look around the room, you're saying, man, it looks like everybody else is having a good time, right? It looks like everybody else is having a merry little Christmas, but not me. Not me. Because in some way or another, what, what nobody knows, or maybe everybody knows, you're stuck in what you would consider some kind of a no-win situation. Again, everyone else is having a good time in your life, but my heart is breaking. And there's something going on, and I can't fix it. It's a health problem. It's a money problem. It's a relationship problem. It's an emotional problem. But it's a problem, right? And you're saying, I'd love to have a merry little Christmas, but with what I've got going on, There's something in your life that seems irreparably broken. And and the reason why you're not, at least till now, till this moment, having a merry little Christmas is you forgot what the angel told Mary in verse 37. What did he say? He said, for nothing. Everybody say nothing. That doesn't mean some things. That means what? It means nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing. Nothing. And you forgot. And the reason God brought you here on Christmas Eve is to remind you tonight that nothing is impossible nothing with him. And so tonight what that means, if that's where you are, is that your path to a merry little Christmas is to pray, Lord, tonight, here's your prayer. Lord, tonight, I choose to trust. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the hundredth time. Maybe it's for the millionth time. But I choose to trust that fill in the blank is not impossible with you. I don't know what that means, but I choose to trust that rescuing my marriage, that digging me out of this debt, that healing my heart, that enabling me to forgive is not impossible with you. Somewhere or another, someday you're going to work it out. Some of us tonight, we need a grace encounter. Others of us, others of us tonight need a faith revelation. And then maybe there's one more possibility. Maybe neither of the first two apply. Maybe they do, but, but in some way or another tonight as you sit here, what you need most this Christmas Eve is a joyful surrender. Tonight, what you need to make is a joyful surrender because like Mary, for some reason, there is an opportunity God's put in front of you, a choice, a decision, a direction that God has put. And I don't know what it is and I don't know what it looks like, but there's something 
That just like Mary here, you know in your heart, I do not have what it takes to do what I believe God is calling me next to do, but he does. Isn't that where Mary was? <laughs> How is this thing to be, right? God says, I got it covered. I've got a plan because nothing's impossible with me. He has what it takes. And so tonight your prayer is to declare to him, just in your heart, Lord, I am, just what Mary said here, verse 38, Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me what you please. That's a hard prayer to pray, but it's a good one. Lord, I am your servant. Do with me what you please. And the bottom line is this, and I'll say it and then I'm done. Whichever of those choices it may be that God has set before you, whatever, whichever of those prayers may be the one that needs to pass through your lips tonight, this Christmas Eve, as we have met to celebrate and remember his gift of a Savior, the big idea for all of us tonight, this Christmas Eve, happens to be the same, and it is this. It is to be like Mary and make room for Jesus. Isn't that what she did? That's the whole point of the story. She made room for Jesus. It's what you need to do. It's what I need to do, one way or another. It's what all of us need to do tonight, is to make room for Jesus Christ, and that is how to have a truly merry little Christmas. Father, Father, I thank you tonight for the strong assurance from your word. Father, that it's not just preacher talk when I say that you know every heart in this room. You know the ones that are overflowing with joy because at long last the whole family's back together tonight and we're going to have a good time. And Father, you know the heart's in this room tonight that are falling apart because nothing has gone this year the way it was supposed to or the way we thought it would. And you know everything in between. You know the joys and the sorrows. You know the opportunities and the obstacles. And that's why you sent us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, in this moment I give you I plead with you for those here tonight who've yet to, they've come to celebrate Christmas, but they've not yet met Jesus, who in this moment, in their heart, need to say to you, Lord, save me. Father, I, I come to you on behalf of those tonight who are in difficult spots, in no-win situations, in possibilities, as Mary was here. How is this thing to be? Lord, enable them to speak the words tonight to you, Lord, I trust you anyway that it is not impossible with you. If you can send your son into this world as a baby, you can, you can deal with what I'm walking through tonight. And Father, for those of us who are confronted and presented with a joyful surrender, we're at a place where we can go deeper and further with you. Father, I pray for the grace for that person, those few, to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me what you please. Father, thank you for the magnificent story of Christmas, that it is about so much more. It began with a baby, but it's about so much more. It's about redemption. It's about transformation. And it is about, in the best or worst of circumstances, the reality and the possibility of great joy. Father, as always, we would pray tonight that the, you would take the things of truth that have been spoken from this spot and seal them to our hearts and send us on our way rejoicing and cause everything else to be forgotten and let go. So tonight, above all nights, we leave singing the praise and looking to Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.